0: Welcome to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees, a conversation for those who own, manage or protect intellectual property. After years of uncertainty, both the Unitary Patent and the Unified Patent Court could be live as early as October 2022. This will impact all existing granted and pending European patents. Patent owners will need to make strategic decisions soon. Here to discuss the implications of the UP and UPC are Apple Yardley's patent attorneys, partner Kate Hickinson and senior associate Chris Mason. Kate and Chris, over to you. Thank you, Charlie. Today, Chris and I
1: are going to chat about the Unitary Patent and the Unified Patent Court. This is something that within the IP world, we've been talking about quite a lot for a number of years now. And it looks like the unitary patent, which we'll refer to as the UP, and the Unified Patent Court, which we'll refer to as the UPC, may finally be coming into effect. So as a brief background, the UP is a European patent with unitary effect in the participating member states of the European Union. So that means that it's effectively going to be a bundle of patents that you don't need to validate and maintain individually in each country where they take effect. Currently, when we prosecute a European patent application through the EPO, the European Patent Office, at the end, when the patent is granted, we have to validate in each of the countries that are members of the European Patent Convention where we want a patent to take effect. So, with the UP, it'll be one patent that's a sort of a bundle that covers those countries that are participating. And at the moment, if we have these. National patents that are obtained through the EPO, we then have to enforce them in national courts. So, the difference with the UP and the UPC is that instead of enforcing the patents in national courts, they'll be litigated in the UPC. So, it'll mean that hopefully there'll be no longer need to be litigation in all of the countries or the national courts where the European patent has been validated.
2: I think it's a very interesting subject, isn't it? It's been long brewing as well. I believe they've been trying to bring in this unified patent system in, in, in Europe for, for many decades now. You know, as far back as the '50s and '60s, I believe. And you know, they ended up with the, the EPC first off, and uh, it's taken them this long to get the rest of it.
1: Yeah, it is really interesting how long it's taken, as I understand it. Talks around having a single patent in Europe began in the 1950s, and this was going to be referred to as a community patent. It seems like there were years and years of talks around that, which meant that the European Patent Convention was adopted in 1973, which covers all EU member states and I think 11 other states And although that came into force, it didn't provide this single patent in Europe and and various talks and attempts have continued for years and years after that, which eventually have given rise to this unitary patent regulation. So as I understand it, we currently have 17 EU states that will be part of the UP, UPC when it begins. So it's not all of the current states, some EU states may join later, but it's the EU states that at the moment don't wish to be part of this new system are Spain and the translation requirements and also Poland have decided not to not to join so I think Croatia at the moment also aren't set to join the system, but as I understand it, Croatia joined the EU after the UPC agreement was signed, and they may participate later at I don't think Croatia have made an active decision not to be part of this new system.
2: Yeah, of course, the UK were in line to join the UPC and and, and be part of the the UP. They'd ratified the agreement and we were set to be a part of it. We had a central division allocated to London, the Life Sciences Central Division, which was a nice thing to see. That was all back in, in 2016. And then and then we had a German court challenge. A German lawyer filed a constitutional complaint um, in 2017 against the UPC Agreement Act. And that unfortunately delayed the start of this new unitary system until after after Brexit. And obviously with UK leaving the EU, that created a real gray area as to whether the UK could still be a part of the system. And I think, I don't know about UK, but I think it came down to a political decision as much as anything to to pull out.
1: Yeah, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because I know at the time there were lots of legal opinions as to whether the UK could or couldn't be a part of the system. But when I was looking at you know the history of this, as I said earlier, it seemed like there had been a question quite a few years ago about whether Switzerland could join. So I find it slightly strange that it was ever considered that the UK could remain if we weren't in the EU anymore. So, but obviously there were different legal opinions on that. And there was quite a lot of discussion at the time as to whether or not um, we could be a part of it. But as you said, Chris, I think it came down to a political decision and the fact that the government at the time didn't wish to be in any system where it was overseen by EU law.
2: The CJEU involvement as um, a court of of higher appeal became the big political issue didn't it I think and unfortunately the unitary patent court system does have the CGEU in its line of appeal and it's not for substantive issues it's for where there are uncertainties and ambiguities as to EU law, the application of EU law within the um, the UPC framework. There is route for referrals to the, to the CJEU on points of EU law.
1: Yeah, so I think the court system will be, there's first instant courts, aren't there? So there's local, central, regional divisions, and then there's one court of appeal. And then, as you say, overseeing over all of that is the CJEU. And, and I think that, um, yeah, the, the government at the time just didn't want to be overseen by by that european law and that's how we we ended up not in the system if actually legally we could have been anyway so as you said earlier chris we were supposed to be having one of the central division courts so the court that dealt with life sciences and chemistry based in London and as I understand it the building and everything had been <laughs> been found and it was already or is going to be ready to go. so now there's a question as to whether where that court is is going to be and I, that hasn't been determined yet. so I think there's other countries that would like it. I think I've heard the the Netherlands and Italy are keen to have that court in their country. It's also been—I've heard it discussed—that actually, at least to get this started, those cases might be heard between the the German and the French courts. So it'll be interesting to see what what happens there and how quickly that decision's made.
2: Definitely, I'd like to see in Italy. Personally, I feel as though you know a lot of the countries we've already talked about already have a lot of the um, EPC infrastructure the EPO infrastructure and already have been designated parts of the the UPC system and so I I think Italy stands out as somewhere really that is maybe due a good part of the UPC court system I think it'd be nice to see it go there in my opinion.
1: Okay so we've talked a little bit about the fact that this whole new system was delayed for various reasons the constitutional challenge in Germany and then Brexit didn't help matters. So we all got ready for this to happen in 2016. We spent lots of time talking about it and um, and then it didn't happen for, the, for various reasons. So the date that we're expecting that this new system could go live is the 1st of october this year so in order for the up and the upc to come into effect we have to have 13 states including germany france and italy that have ratified and deposited the relevant instruments of ratification so france and italy have done that so we're waiting for the german ratification and they're expected to ratify when they think that everything's going to be in place for the system to go live.
2: The consensus seems to be that the uh, 1st of October is ambitious. A lot of the commentary seems to be that perhaps later in 2022 or early in 2023 is more likely.
1: So we're currently in this provisional application period, um, which has been referred to as PAP. And during that time, lots of preparatory work is is ongoing. So the judges for the courts haven't yet been appointed. So judges have got to be appointed and trained for this new court. The courts have got to be fitted out. As we said earlier, we're not actually sure where one of those courts will even be. And IT systems have all got to be put in place. So as you said, Chris, I think it's quite an ambitious start date. There's a lot of work going on to to get this this going. But having said that, I've I've heard talks by people that are involved who seem quite convinced that we we may be going live on the first of October. So we'll just have to see.
2: I wonder if the first of October is one of those deadlines that you set you set an ambitious deadline, you know, to get everyone yeah. moving, to get the ball rolling as fast as you can. But at the back of their minds, maybe they're thinking, well, if it does slip by a few months and it is it's not the end of the world. And and again, as you said, Kate. There is a lot for patentees and applicants to be thinking about.
1: First of all, there's going to be a transitional provision, isn't there? So that people aren't just forced into using this new system and the new court straight away. That seems quite fair to me, really, because obviously it takes quite a few years from filing your patent application at the EPO to get it granted. And um, you know, things change always between filing an application and getting your patent granted. I always think as a patent attorney, it'd be nice to have a crystal ball. <laughs> but um, people, when they filed their European patent applications you know, several years ago, they didn't know that this was going to happen. So I think that's the, the justification really for having this transitional period. So it's, it's just to help people adjust, really, I think, and um, out of fairness to, to applicants. So there's going to be a time where there will be a dual jurisdiction for patents in the UPC states during this transitional period. So during this time, they'll be able to use or choose to use the, the UPC or national courts. And they can, if they wish, opt out of the jurisdiction of the UPC.
2: I think it's interesting, the opt out options isn't it because it's not quite as it sounds like a simple choice do you do you want uh, for, speaking from the prospect perspective of a patentee or an applicant do you want your patent to be subject to the UPC um court do you do you want your patents to be subject to the UPC's jurisdiction Um, And it's not that straightforward at all. And there are quite a few different factors to take into account. I mean, obviously, as Kate touched on, the UPC is going to be a brand new court, as as untested as you can get, really. uh, We're bringing together a lot of different national jurisprudence histories. Which judges, which nationality judges are you going to have? Are they going to be minded to follow the jurisprudence case law in? In that from their own territories, or or will they have a lot of guidance imposed on them, particularly for the UPC? It's just that there are a lot of uncertainties as to where the court is going to go. Is it going to be patentee friendly? Is it going to be a, a hard judge? It all remains to be seen.
1: So I think one of the downsides of not having the UK as part of this new system is that in the UK we do have very experienced patent judges, and I think it's, it's a shame that the, the UPC won't have those, those judges as part of it. So I think another uncertainty is also how experienced the judges will be. So as you said, Chris, will the courts be, be patent friendly? But also, I think, you know, just how experienced will some of the judges be?
2: Yeah, it's interesting, Kate, isn't it? Because my understanding was that the UK judges are actually quite involved with um, the training and the preparation. For the UPC, at least you know, back in back in toward 2016, I understand that was the case. So it would be interesting to know how involved they they, they been subsequently with the withdrawal of the UK from the system. But yeah, it's, it's a lot, an awful lot of unknowns in terms of uh, the UPC. And of course, you know, we're talking about very highly qualified and educated people here. So you you'd hope there's no doubt that in due course things will settle down and the level of certainty that we'll be able to advise patentees with is and third parties is going to be higher and 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 that'll all be fine but I think it's a long road to get there isn't it and certainly at the moment we're at the very start of that road and I think as a type of lawyer I suppose patent attorneys you know we we thrive on providing certainty as, as far as we can and we're at a very high level of uncertainty at the moment.
1: Yeah, so we're just starting to talk, really, aren't we, to clients about whether they want to be part of this system or not, and whether they're going to opt out. It'll be interesting to see whether clients decide to opt out some of their patent portfolio, but not not other parts of it. Whether they decide that they want to take part from the early days in order to try and shape how the system works and you know the the decisions that come out of it, but whether or not they'll keep their what we often call crown jewel patents out of the system until there's a bit more certainty and they can see how the court runs and and get a bit of a feel for the likely outcomes perhaps. I think I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to to follow.
2: That's right and I think the advice or certainly the actions are going to differ a lot uh, depending on the type of the patentee. I think for you, your big multinationals where they can afford to to sit on both sides of the fence you're going to see quite complex strategies coming out but then for your your SME types maybe your regional or national companies where the budgets are a lot smaller in some ways the the strategy that you go with in the end might be a lot simpler but the the discussion to reach that strategy might be almost as complex I think because it's not just do you want jurisdiction of the UPC it's also do you want to unitary patent and then we go into conversations about costs as it always does translation costs renewal fee costs loss of flexibility if you go with a unitary patent then you're stuck with all the upc member states at at that time so it is going to be quite a lot of quite complex decisions and the outcome of that decision for the smes perhaps more so might be no I don't want a unitary patent. I'm just going to stick with my normal European countries, which for a lot of people focus on the UK, France and Germany. And maybe people will continue with that and they will uh, not follow the unitary patent and and they will opt out of the UPC for as long as they can, essentially maintain the status quo.
1: Yeah. So touching on the renewals. So obviously at the moment, you have to renew each of the patents that you've validated you know nationally don't you and and sometimes we find that clients might validate in quite a few countries but as the renewal fees increase as the the time goes on, then they might prune the portfolio and decide to just maintain a few countries. So they can do that and they can keep the patents, say, 10, 15 years down the line if they wanted to in certain countries, but not be paying for the states that they've decided they don't want anymore. So as you touched on, Chris, for the UP, then there'll be one renewal fee that covers all of the the states that are part of the UP at that time i've heard that referred to as the true top 4 so it's going to be based i think the renewal fee on the the four participating states where most european patents are validated which as i understand it is germany france italy and the netherlands so it's interesting it will it will depend on the clients whether that's cost effective or not and but as you said you can't you can't decide to to prune it as the patent gets older to try and reduce your costs, you either have to pay that that one re- renewal fee or not. And that might not be very attractive for, for, as you said, smaller, smaller patentees. So SMEs might decide that that's, that's not very desirable. I think as well, it'll be interesting to see, we talked about the fact that um, the UK won't be part of the UPC, be interested to see whether actually the UK courts follow what comes out of the UPC or not, whether they take note of of cases and case law that's coming out of the UPC.
2: Oh, that's going to be fascinating, isn't it? It's going to be very, very interesting, because it's it's the obvious big national court system that isn't going to be a part of, of the UPC, so... Are they going to clash? Are they going to align? I think it's impossible to predict, isn't it? We did, we were having a divergence in the application of equivalence when it comes to infringement. And then suddenly, you know, as of the Octavis decision at the, in the UK Supreme Court in 2017, we, we had a, a significant U-turn, you could say, from the UK jurisprudence and toward harmonisation with the approach more commonly followed. In the, in the continental European national courts, perhaps certainly more aligned with Germany, where the UK introduced a more permissive um, infringement by equivalence system. So an example of the UK courts perhaps looking to what's happening outside of the UK and trying to align the UK approach with the wider European approach, but it can so easily go the other way as well. Um, I suspect we're a long, long way from the UK courts either setting alignment with or permanent deviation from the UPC it's probably going to go in peaks and troughs for a while Um, and I suspect it would would probably take some sort of new legislation to require UK courts perhaps to work in alignment with with the jurisprudence of the UPC in a way that I suppose the UK Patents Act acknowledges the UPC.
1: I think another interesting situation that I've thought about is if, if you have a UP that's re- revoked centrally at the UPC, but you've still got your EP UK patent, so your European patent that you've validated in the UK, you know, whether that then renders that pretty worthless if the corresponding UP has been revoked?
2: Well, that, that's one of the issues they are trying to address, isn't it, with this UPC system. The, Uncertainty that can be caused, that is caused at the moment and has been caused for decades by differing decisions in terms of infringement and revocation across different European national courts, and you know that's that's been an ongoing issue for for decades. And this is what the unified court is meant to help alleviate. How far is that going to going to alleviate it? I don't know. Ob- obviously, it's now putting a a much higher burden. On the UK courts to acknowledge the decisions of the UPC, because we're no longer talking about, oh, well, the German courts decided it this way, Lord Justice, whoever, therefore you should also decide it this way. And then Lord Justice, whoever, turning around and going, well, no, actually, I see it differently. Maybe, you know, basing it on different facts or whatnot or Mm. different testimony. So I I suspect it's easier for the UK judges to dismiss a different finding in, in another European national court than it will be for them to dismiss finding of the UPC, which obviously carries an an awful lot more weight.
1: Yeah, there's interesting times ahead, aren't there? I think as well, it's just worth remembering that from a UK point of view, we're not going to be in the UP or the UPC, but we can continue. We remain in the EPC, so the European Patent Convention, and we can continue to use the EPO um, to obtain patents that are then validated in the UK. And UK businesses, yeah, will be able to use the UP and the UPC to protect their inventions within those participating EU countries. So although we're not directly part of it, UK businesses will become involved, I'm sure, in some ways.
2: And I think that's an important point, isn't it, to be clear, that if you want a UK patent, you can still go via the EPO through the normal system, and it will grant through the normal system The only difference is that at grant, there won't be the option to get a unitary patent that covers the UK. You'll just have to classically validate your European patent, your EP, as you normally would at the moment. Nothing changes there. The the only change would be that when your European patent comes to grant, you would have the option of taking a unitary patent, a UP, for the UPC contracting states but the UK will not be one of those contracting states. So you, you would just classically validate in the UK, which means that you've still got a bundle in some respects. You could still end up with, for example, a UP covering 17 plus states plus a EP UK plus an EP Spain, if you, if you also classically validated in Spain, as they're currently outside of the UPC. So in terms of changes, we're not seeing any change at the EPO until post-grant. And post-grant, you will then have a month as it stands to request unitary patent should you want it. And if you do want it, do you also want to classically validate in any additional non-UPC countries? If you don't want a unitary patent, which EPC member states do you want to classically validate in? That's where the changes start.
1: It's taken years and years and years to get to this point, hasn't it? And we're going to be watching and seeing how things play out as this new system comes into effect.
2: Yeah, thanks, Kay. I think that's been a really interesting chat on what is quite a, a complex subject. And it's going to be really interesting, I think, getting stuck into all these considerations with our clients going forward. And I'm sure there'll be lots more for us to talk about, certainly in a future podcast coming from us shortly. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Chris, and thanks to everyone who gives this podcast a listen.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees. For more information on the UP and UPC, please head to our website at www.appleyardlees.com forward slash the dash EU patent package. If you have a question or topic suggestion, please email us at ip at appleyardlees.com.